0: Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio featuring The Crew, where a former pro football player and a D3 All Star use strength and conditioning as an excuse to talk about anything but. Now, here's John and Tex.
1: Mr. Matt Zanis, thanks so much for joining us on Power Athlete Radio again.
2: It's great to be here again. Again, every time again. I come out here to Austin, I'd like to take the opportunity to come and wrap with you
1: guys. Yeah. So you were in yeah. town uh, doing Tim Kennedy's uh, Sheepdog Response Shooting Combative Course. Yes, that was the main reason why I came in. How'd it go? I
2: paid to get my ass kicked. It was great. Uh, a lot of life lessons learned there too. What uh, what did you learn? Oh boy. Um, well, one validation for what I'm doing from a training standpoint. Because the strength, the size, and the mobility, in particular, particularly along with the variety of movement I'm capable of, put me in a, a good foundational place to try and attack something like Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, which I've just never had any experience or exposure to before. So I was able to hold my own, even though I didn't know any technique, and then take the lessons that I was learning there and then apply them
1: to be able to create new movement patterns, right, mm-hmm. that the brain could actually learn from. Did uh, who, who's the course that's like who's marketed like who shows up to the sign? Oh, man, there are people from all kinds of
2: walks of life coming there. I mean, there a lot of East Coast people that came out to um, Texas, but I mean, they weren't just strength coaches. There were some of us there, but there were a couple of their medical providers and optometrists and then people, pizza shop owners, literally anybody and their mother came to this thing wow. because it was, a, it was a great course to learn um, how to defend yourself and how to be able to take charge in a
1: pretty sketchy situation. So the uh, like, it wasn't just necessarily geared towards law enforcement or people no. that are in that kind of community.
2: No, and there were there were a handful of them too, like you know, former special ops guys, former Marines, um, Army police. But that was probably only about maybe I'd give it like twenty percent of the population. The rest of it was everyday Joe's like myself.
1: How many people showed up?
2: I think this cohort there's about thirty five wow. <laughs> involved. So it's a pretty decent sized class, and that's including ten that didn't actually that paid money and didn't show up. <laughs> wow, yeah.
1: Yeah, which is mind-boggling to me. Well, you know, people are busy. Sure. Uh, So 35 people show up, uh, Mm -hmm. private range, uh, a lot of like, uh, you know, I mean, was it proficiency with a pistol? Was there a lot of like uh, coaching within shooting?
2: Yeah, so the very first day actually involved a lot of situational awareness training. So learning what to do should some type of um, situation arise where you have to make a decision and act, Mm -hmm. right? So that was kind of like laying the foundation for what we were about to experience physically the next day. And what was great, those, those lessons were actually woven through all the physical stuff and reiterated through the Resilient Jiu-Jitsu training and the on-the-range training with the pistol. And, and I, I tell you, this, it was like four hours of rolling in the morning, followed by four hours, four to five hours of being on the range in the afternoon. These are long, intense days, which was kind of the whole entire point because uh, there's this idea of stress inoculation, mm-hmm. right? We need to be able to test ourselves and feel what it's going to be like in those such situations to have to fight somebody under duress or shoot under duress when you're stressed out and the heart rate's up and you're breathing heavy and your your brain's not working, which I got to actually experience when I rolled with Tim Kennedy. <laughs> mm-hmm. He took me to this black zone where my nervous system just freaked out. And mind you, I used everything I could against this guy. I tried to wrap him. I tried to use brute strength. I tried to use a little bit of technique that I had. And it got to the point where he just put his hand over my mouth mm-hmm. and took away my breathing. And that's when my nervous system just sh- shut down. Things went dark, tunnel vision. I couldn't hear anything. Did you try the fish hook? I did not try to fish around.
1: Thought about it. Thought about it. Yeah, Yeah. that that would have been a great one. Be like, hey, you know, I actually fish hooked Tim Kennedy (laughs) and uh, laid (laughs) it in deep. What was what is it? It's like you got fish hooked by a piker. (laughs) Oh god, Uh, we have a couple fish hook stories that we should probably. uh, Dude, that was a that was one of my favorite moves when I was a kid and when I was battling my brothers. Uh, The fish hook was the coveted of moves. Like if you were had nothing else, you just basically wrap the hand around, you, you get the fish hook. And they, they're trying to bite you, but if you dig it in real tight, <laughs> they can't bite you on that. That'd be a good one. I'll remember that one for next what time. What about the eye poke? Did you just use like the- uh, Three stooges? Yes. Well, or also the Krav Magra handshake. The Crab <laughs> Magra.
0: Tim Magra. Uh, huh? uh.
1: So in Krav Magra, there's the handshake where you basically poke him in the eye, and then you follow that up with a kick to the <laughs> knee and the groin. So that's Sounds like- effective. Yeah, that's actually- yeah. yeah, now you're a black belt in Krav McGraw. Harry Shaw has anointed me a black belt because I'm pretty accurate with my finger poke and my kick to the nuts. That's
0: all, all it takes.
1: <laughs> when hopefully Harry listens to this, he'll be laughing hysterically with his hurt shoulder. But uh no, that's the uh the classic, like yeah. ah. That's how you gotta get people off you. Mm,
0: yeah, defend that. Yeah, he
2: deflected everything though. He did? Oh yeah. Yeah. There was you weren't getting anything past him. And when my nervous system shut down, I tried to tap him and he just whispered in my ear and it's like this is not a
1: tap. You're just uncomfortable. Keep going. Did Did he like lick you on the face? A little bit. Yeah, it's like a little
2: bit of like a wet willy in the ear too. <laughs> <laughs> Except if it's just his tongue, he
1: was like, just, God, which woke me up. That yeah. would be hilarious. And like, and then he like thought he was Rick James and just licked me on the face. It was weird, <laughs> and he made me pancakes. Uh, so what? Um, Uh, What did you take away in terms of like, okay, you said that, you know, obviously your training has been beneficial, your mobility and some of the things you're doing. What were the weak points that you necessarily assessed? And you're like, I probably need to learn a little bit of Brazilian Jiu Jitsu.
2: Yeah, because uh, one, I had no idea what I was doing. It's like that whole Mike Tyson quote, you, you think you have a plan to get punched in the face. Well, I literally got punched in the face a couple of times. I'm just looking at you guys with a shiner in my eye right now and a scratch down my nose. Uh, so it was one of those situations where you know you, you, don't, you don't know what you don't know until you're put into the position where your body and your brain are, are freaking out. And I learned that everything that we plan for maybe in the gym isn't really as translatable until you're practicing that skill. And, and that's what they, they mentioned too during that part of the course is that like this Brazilian jiu-jitsu stuff, it's just a foundation. Yeah. It gives you some tools to use should you get into, this, into a, a situation. And, uh, you know, as long as you're like one or two steps above the guy that's attacking you, you're going to probably come out successful sure. with it. Yeah. But it, it, it definitely did expose. Like I was raw. Exposed lots of weak points. There are parts of my body that are sore that I never knew could get sore,
1: including my jaw muscles from trying not to be choked. <laughs> when uh, I did this shooting course with Craig. Uh, I actually, you're better than me. I didn't do a podcast for a week because my face was so destroyed because (laughs) the dude that I was battling, uh, Nick from starting strength, who, uh, is actually a pretty skilled, uh, BJJ guy also like six foot, like 325 pounds, but, uh, shaved his head Mm -hmm. and had a nice five o'clock shadow. So when we were doing all like the catch wrestling and the head position stuff, which was about three hours worth of work. He had literally gave me like 5 o'clock shadow whisker burn on the entire part of my scalp to point like my face was all crusty and text was like, holy shit. I'm like, I don't think we're doing a podcast this week. dude." I need to heal up. I look like dog shit. But my fucking face was a mess. And uh, it was just like 5 o'clock shadow and he just kept rubbing that head on me. And like my whole hairline was all like scabbed up. And I'm like, oh, I'm so fucking soft. Yeah.
2: And I also learned they recommend wearing a a rash guard. You should probably take that as an assertive choice because – my elbows are rubbed raw. Like my sweatshirt's literally really sticking to the scabs oh, yeah. <laughs> elbows right now and the top to the feet. I hope we're not doing any foot videos later because
1: they're pretty ugly right now. Did you get hit with any Sims? Yes. Yeah.
2: We had the guns and the knives and everything there too. Um, so learning how to take the knives and the guns away from people and then uh, to control them on your own, which I don't know if you ever were taught the, um, they call it the swan neck. Like when somebody's holding a knife in their hand, you literally take the hand and, curl into a fist and then just flex it down to the Mm -hmm. wrist and it's like an instantaneous um reflex where the fingers will open up and the knife will drop or it creates so much pain in the wrist that you don't don't want to be holding on to that knife Mm -hmm. anymore so that was was a really cool part and then as part of all the situational awareness stuff you know you have to be aware of your surroundings like there is something sitting there next to you, you should probably take advantage of it so you don't Go into this tunnel vision where you're only focusing on maybe the guy that's on top of you. Hey, you know, there's a knife laying over here. Somebody's gun. You should probably go over there and try to utilize that as a, an opportunity. All right. So Tim actually had his kids running around like dropping these SIM knives and guns mm-hmm. around everybody to see if they actually picked up on it. Mm-hmm. Which is a really cool part of the experience too.
1: Nice. Did was yeah. it, uh, I mean, you guys weren't wearing any headgear or anything. Mm-mm, clearly not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, that, that was the fun thing about Craig's yeah. course. Uh, we were wearing headgear. So I felt more than justified in basically fucking open hand slapping and punching people in the face, which was kind of fun. (laughs) But uh, I can see that uh, headgear did not stop them from fucking cracking Uh, you in the left over your left eye.
2: Yeah, I survived though. First, I've been punched in the face since probably sixth grade.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you're like, oh god, that's how that feels. Yes, uh, vivid memory now. Playing out
2: Uh, a lot of hair pulling. There was, yeah. I got my, of course, I had my man bun
1: oh. up and rocking, which I'm sure uh, angered them even more.
2: Uh, but they used it to their advantage as well. Yeah. Yanked on that shit. I mean, that's what's going to happen in real life, right? Yeah. You know? So then, cranking my neck
1: back on it. But what are you going to do? Nice. Yeah. So, uh what's the? do they leave everybody with like a, kind of an AAR? Like, hey, here's what you need to do to progress. Y-
2: yeah. Like you are, you know, they call it the sheepdog response course. You're not. You are a sheepdog after taking it, but it does. Um, it does require a lot of follow up, a lot of practice, a lot of repetition, and a lot of conditioning, right? And not just from the skill standpoint of getting into the into the gym three three to four days a week and practicing these jujitsu skills, but also incorporating strength training and dry firing and, and range training. You kind of you have to be on top of it to be able to progress.
1: They're perishable
2: skills. They are very perishable skills. But even like the conditioning of the skin. Right, because all of us are walking around with bruises in places we never thought would bruise before. Sure, and then you see guys like Tim and everybody else who've been rolling for a long time. Like I swear to God, they don't have capillaries that form in the super surface of their skin anymore. Yeah. they just don't get
1: bruised. Or or their skin's just so like I mean like that dude. I mean like my whole hairline yeah. was tore up, and like you know like that stuff just happens because you're not used to it. I mean, that too. Yeah. That too.
2: And and there were uh, everybody's walking around like zombies
1: for two days. Like when I talk about
2: exposing you. Any type of injuries or limitations, they definitely came out. Hmm. They came out. A lot of um, a lot of the people complaining about back pain. <laughs> Shockingly
1: <laughs> enough. Shocking. So yeah. that's an excellent segue into back pain. What do you think? You. Uh, what do you think the the culprit was, or as the physio detective to use Antlo to oh steal from hips? Like, uh, was it within movement patterns? Was it the awkwardness of running with a weapon? Was it the fact that most people aren't used to doing this kind of like cross patterning kind of movement, rolling on their backs? I mean, I think like, uh, you know, unless you're put in these situations on like, uh, I guess you could say like not voluntarily, mm-hmm. like if you're going to roll with somebody. I mean, for the most part, these guys are not finding ways to challenge this in their everyday life. Answer to that is yes.
2: <laughs> on all accounts, everything you mentioned is all a contributing factor. Like when we talk about pain, there's all this all this biopsychosocial component to it. And I'll, I'll kind of leave like the, the psychosocial stuff out of it. And that's like your belief system around pain, the way you you're raised and culturally uh, developed and grew up and your belief systems around what that pain actually means to you. Do you buy into that or is that bullshit? Oh, absolutely.
0: Power Athlete Nation, I want to take one minute to remind you why. Power Athlete is performance for the people. We love the garage shimmer. we love the athlete that is taking their performance into their own hands. We offer eight different strength and conditioning programs reverse engineered from common goals like getting jacked, becoming more athletic, or introducing the barbell for the first time. To learn which program is best for you, head to powerathletehq.com training. If you're an enthusiast, a parent, or a professional coach, we also offer education. At academy.powerathletehq.com, learn the method to the madness, the power athlete methodology, and a hell of a lot more. Next up, shop.powerathletehq.com. Hoodies, tees, sweats, shorts, you name it, we got it, including posters. You put this up in your garage gym, you're staring at it underneath the bar. I guarantee that you're going to add 10% to your next rep max. And finally, you can check us out on YouTube. We're dropping movement demonstrations. Going through our setup and execution of the finer movements found on all of our Power Athlete training programs and cutting and clips of this podcast that you're listening to right now. So if you want to share in this experience with your lifting buddies, go ahead, seek out Power Athlete on YouTube. And now back to the premier podcast in strength and conditioning. Hey, hey.
1: So, so you think that people are taught a narrative of pain. And that narrative and and how they're taught how to deal with it and, like, it becomes, like, the like a self-fulfilling prophecy in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah. And you can think about this even from – you have kids. So, even from just, like, childhood, if a kid falls down, scrapes their knee, like, what does a parent usually do? Walk away.
1: Should. Yeah,
2: that's what I do. Should, right?
1: And you can actually tell how many kids people have based upon, like, if you're with a group of parents and a kid fucking face plants – yeah, the people that have multiple kids will just turn about, like just basically turn away and be like, "He's fine." And the people that like might not have kids or maybe one kid will run over there and I'll be like, "Don't help that kid," mm-hmm. you know.
2: Well, and, and yeah, because then it, it it helps you then develop a, a perception of like, are you hurt or are you injured? Like, there's there's a difference uh, between that versus running over and checking on, are you okay? Are you okay? Yeah. And that will then inst- instill the the mindset or the belief system into that kid every time that they get a bruise. That's the end of the world. Sure, All right, and that carries on later on into life
0: as well. Well, we also learned that from the '90s football movie, The Program. Are you injured or are you hurt? And that has helped guide a lot of football coaches
1: in how they approach
0: and do you think manage it's, their players' pain.
1: Do you think it's uh, um, justified, or you think it's just a cool '90s movie that they're going to reference because they? Yes. Who was that? That was uh, James Con, Jimmy, Jimmy Con. <laughs> yeah,
0: and Omar Epps is the running back. Are you That's injured right. or are you hurt? But at that time, he was just hurt. He was not yet injured.
2: Yeah. yeah, And I, I can relay from my own personal experience. Like right now, my body feels feels like it was hit by a train. Mm-hmm. So I'm definitely hurting in multiple areas, including my face. Yeah. But I'm definitely not injured.
1: But like that's yeah. like a it, – it's like a good receipt. It's like a good hurt where sure. you like feel a little achy. And you're like, oh, I got my ass kicked. And I handed out some ass kickings.
2: Yeah. You know, I Think about that though from the stress inoculation that we just got done talking about earlier. Like what if you went through your entire childhood – have never gotten to a fight. And we, we see this now happening a lot where we're trying to prevent a lot of violence from occurring in our kids by yeah. secluding them, essentially keeping them in a bubble. Right. You don't know what it's like to experience pain in a beneficial way.
1: Man. I I uh, actually had this conversation last night with my daughters. Um, I told them that I hope to God that their first fight doesn't happen when they're adults. Mm-hmm. I hope that at some point they get into some like fisticuffs. I don't want girls to necessarily get their ass kicked whatever. But I want them to get into some physical altercation at a young age. Just like I want, and I know this sounds terrible, like I would much be much happier if they dealt with heartbreak as a younger kid, like 14, 15, 16, like if they're heartbroken, I'm always nervous where like you're 30 years old and you've never had your heartbroken and you've never been in a fight. Mm-hmm. Like they there's pretty real science that says, you know, the earlier you deal with these things, when you're younger, you're much more malleable mm-hmm. and uh, you know, not nearly as crystallized. So then it becomes something and you learn a framework. Um, Dr. Ants, we had him on the podcast talked about uh, kids that experience like big doses of pain early on, end up learning to have much better systems on how to deal with pain later. Like for me, I you know broke my collarbone when I was you know four years old. Uh, the doctor next door said it in our kitchen and I wore a dish towel sling to school because we didn't necessarily go to the hospital back then. And uh, no, it fucking hurts. And there was no painkillers and it fell in the night and it was awful. I mean, but then you just, Kind of deal with it and you end up being fine. And now all of a sudden here I am and it's like, oh, the pain receptors are so reduced. Maybe because I had some traumatic pain when I was younger. And uh, that becomes a real deal.
2: Right. It's like a, it's a, what kind of sensitivity do you have for, for pain, right? So every tissue in our body from a physicality standpoint has a different threshold, right? It creates like a window of stress that you can tolerate until you cross the threshold and then you experience something and everybody experiences it differently. Is it a knife like pain? Is it shooting, stabbing? Is it just adult ache? Is it soreness? Is it just uncomfortable? Right. Everybody experiences that differently. But when we start, um, if we think about like kids that don't have that stress inoculation as kids growing up, their sensitivity is a lot lower. There's a lot less of a window of opportunity to move before they feel something. Sure. Right. And, and the same thing goes like, if you do have chronic back pain, like your sensitivity reduces the longer that it goes on. So then people find this, it's like they get into a situation where even the smallest little movements cause them pain. Mm. That that turns into a, like a, a pretty a long-term issue of unraveling that rat's nest of things you gotta work through. And that's really where that, um, that psychosocial part does come in because you have to kind of peel back those layers of the onion first so that they feel confident and comfortable enough to start moving their body again.
0: Mm. Well, we're speaking to some of the learning experience within Doctor Z's back course found on Power Athlete Academy. So, before we continue down the, the learning experience, let's start with the motivation for the course. So, it is something that a lot of people complain about, and
1: if you're a gym owner, what the, you're going to you hear mean, this a lot of people lot. complaining about the back course or complaining about back pain. <laughs> uh, a lot of people complain about me. Complain, <laughs> man. Period. They're complaining no, back, about Matt back pain. Dude, from His the hair uh, is too
2: long, and he wears too short of uh, shorts. I <laughs> agree.
1: <laughs> Did you see that guy's balls? <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought we'll that was nice. just, I thought that was chewing gum. They were weird uh, looking. Uh, <laughs> the like I I bet you uh, in terms of pain and injury that more people are searching for how to alleviate back pain than anything else. See,
0: that's that's yeah. what I'm leading to, which helped spark the motivation for the course. Mm-hmm. So I mean, there's an infinite number of things that you can choose to write and educate about. Why back pain and why voice it for an individual to take charge of their movement?
2: Well, I think it's what you guys allude to already, the permeability of it. Like nine out of 10 people experience back pain in their lives. That's pretty much everybody. At some point, you're going to feel it. But then what you, how do you start to respond to try and alleviate that back pain? What's your perception around it? And what you see people, a lot of people gravitate towards are all those quick fixes, those band-aids of things that just take the pain away right away. Like they look for that quick action that's going to relieve it the most. Like what? uh, Things like manipulations Mm -hmm. and dry needling and then the cupping and all that stuff and stretching and whatnot. And it all serves a purpose. I think it's all great. It helps to create a window of opportunity to move better. But if you don't ever actually reintegrate and learn how to move better, you're going to keep finding yourself on this roller coaster ride (laughs) day in and day out. And I think that there's actually a lot of value in experiencing pain and sitting with it for a little bit, right? And learning to understand what it means, what it's telling you, because it's just information. If we try to take it away too quickly, we don't give it the opportunities to tell us what we need.
0: We need to explore that a little bit. Pain is information. You mean the dark corners? Do you want to explore
1: the...
2: <laughs> I'm always down for exploring dark corners. <laughs> Explored a lot of them how? over the well, I, I realize that, but
1: uh, <laughs> how dark are McQuilkin's corners? The darkest. like <laughs> Stellites and
2: stalagmites I'm hiding the- in there. <laughs> yeah, Let's keep those doors closed.
1: No lights. <laughs> oh God! It's like you're stuck in a glass box of emotion, except it's a black box, glass box. Yeah, I
0: closed that door, and uh, yeah, it's just out here.
1: Threw with a key. <laughs> is, it,
2: is it? Well, he's stuck Safe between hobby? the slag
1: mites <laughs> and the slag tights. I don't get it, but yeah, yeah, they're the ones that grow what you're up saying, and down. But
2: yeah, <laughs> have you ever been in a cave, a dark cave?
1: Like, uh, you ever been to Carlsbad Cavern or any like the big caves in like, uh, Texas? Yeah, Longhorn Cave, which. Um, man, I don't know exactly where it is, but yeah, took a trip
0: and then it used to be like, they built a whole restaurant bar down there. Used to be some big experience and, you know, until tragedy of course struck. So then that's all she wrote, but now you can tour it.
1: Yeah. When we were kids, we went to Carlsbad Cavern, uh, which I think is here in Texas. And, uh, they have these huge, like, you know, stalagmites, stalagmites, which are these big spikes that go up and down. It was huge. It's pretty amazing. It's
2: like limestone that drips down i think that's how they form right over yeah the time. ones
1: that drip over time yeah. go this way and then there's and then they pool and they kind of like come up so so you, what you're saying is that your dark corners are like carlsbad cavern yeah pain like the- back cave pain don't hurt <laughs> that's, that's what i'm saying is that what you're buying into like uh like yeah this is kind of an interesting piece so mm-hmm. you know we've talked about this like pain neuromatrix matrix and the fact that there's you know like people's perception of pain which is really pretty fascinating like mm-hmm. you know you think about uh like Uh, I had made the analogy one time. It's kind of like a scary movie, like a movie that might not be scary to me is scary to you and vice versa. Like I've seen some stuff where I'm like, dude, that was terrifying. And people are like, not at all, but that's kind of where pain kind of fits in there. And that everybody's perception of pain is different. So like what things go into like really creating that narrative for individuals like McQuilkin, for example, like how does he like, you know, like what things in his life are going to allow for his corners to be nice and big in terms of darkness. (laughs)
2: Oh, God. And this is where it's in a, you can start to tie in a lot of the bio, the cycle, and the social, right? So I like to think about this from the standpoint of awareness, okay? So are you even aware of what's going on inside your body to begin with? Like from a movement standpoint, are you intentional with your movement? Do you understand why you're moving the way that you're moving? And if something does feel off or awkward, are you even aware enough to feel that?
1: So, uh, but like, so. People learn to move by watching, mm-hmm. right? So, like, uh, we've talked about, I mean, dude, for eons on this podcast, uh, you know, they have, uh, you know, studies where they've gone and looked at that, you know, children are kind of almost like uh, monkey see monkey do. They see how their parents move. They see how the people around them and those are the patterns that they move into. Now, if you get stuck in these patterns and you're not moving well, it feels like poor movement over time, you know, time and pressure being the study of, you know, geology mm-hmm. and also, you know, uh um Shawshank redemption, uh, like that becomes like a, a factor where if you move poorly dynamically over long periods of time, you start developing these injuries and you start kind of finding these stress points. So like is there a process to almost strip that down and remove movement or to like remove learn people how to remove?
2: Yes. And that all comes down to understanding what they were doing for the past 20 years of their life too. How right? do you figure that
1: out? Like I and am I'm I'm just trying to yeah. like uh like like from you know I know we do it. And yeah. it's easy for me to assess it under a barbell, right? Exactly. Like, because it's load. Yeah. And, uh, you know, what we found is that a lot of times when people are moving through space without load, it becomes much more difficult for me to see At The minute I put something under load, it's like, you know, uh, like, you know, doing hard corners with loose lug nuts. Like, I get mm-hmm. to see really quickly. So, for you, in terms of your practice, where maybe you're dealing with people, uh, you know, that are shooting who are kind of in a static position or maybe through Zoom, like, how do you figure out how somebody's moving poorly? To find these fucking loose lug nuts.
2: Well, I mean, another question there, too, is why does somebody move better under load than when they do with their own body?
1: Do they? Well, I think some people do. So you think some people move better under load than just Mm -hmm. free motion? But
2: what's what's the underlying reason behind that? Like, why can you control your body with the assistance of some type of external resistance? Well, we
0: see that for momentarily, say, squat with an empty barbell. And then add 35 pounds and all that we see is a different expression of that movement. So yeah, no, I, yes, I, we see that.
1: I learned long ago never to judge anybody by watching him squat an empty barbell. Which is because I watched so many people squat poorly with an empty barbell. The minute that they put under load, it actually was the load was forcing them into a better position. But it's a cue,
2: right? It's an external cue that tells the body this is the way that you need to react in order to make this movement more efficient. Or economical versus now you have somebody who's trying to do just maybe a, an air squat and it looks terrible, right? I saw it out on the firing line. When they had us going through different positions of standing to squatting to kneeling to prone. There was only myself and one other girl that could squat fully down and ask the grass and shoot the gun. Everybody else, it was all over the place, dude. Up on the toes, knees flaring wide out, trunk moving forward. So you you, try, you look at that and you go,
1: why is... Did, did you squat flat-footed? Yes. So you were able to sit into a squat position flat-footed. Mm-hmm. A lot of people were what, up on their toes trying to...
2: Up on the toes or let's just say they have one foot flat down, the other foot up on the toes. So they're shifting into their dominant side, whatever they want to feel more comfortable in. Um, or they tried to keep the heels down and realize they don't have the ankle mobility and then just push the trunk forward. Mm. So now you're almost shooting like with your back perpendicular to the ceiling or to the sky at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Which are all compensation patterns, right? To make up for the lack of motion somewhere. right. But if if you go back to, oh, the question you asked earlier about how I like look at this with the clients that I work either in person or via Zoom and remotely, you have to look at the history, right? And that's why it's like 20 years worth of whatever they've gone through because you have to understand where they've experienced trauma at before right and trauma can be something physical like an injury it could also be psychological emotional spiritual sexual like all of these different components fall into that same bucket right and that that stress that trauma is what initiates dysfunction that starts to occur in people's bodies mm. and that dysfunction is actually necessary so let's just say for example you sprain your ankle sprain your left ankle cool we're going to offload weight onto the right side so we can let the left side heal it is creating a dysfunctional movement pattern in the moment but it's supposed to be temporary Left ankle heels, you should learn to then walk on that left leg again. Mm-hmm. It's good. It's solid, right? But a lot of people don't. They never learn to trust that side again, subconsciously or, or consciously, and they don't have confidence in that side. And that's where you start to see this develop into these permanent compensation patterns, which is the way that they live their life. It's how they move their body through life. And that becomes their perceived sense of center, perceived sense of movement, perceived sense of balance which is fine, you could use those patterns for a long time for some people. And we see like 10, 15 years worth of this until, and this isn't a matter of if it's a matter of when, you start to essentially experience issues. You start to feel pain, you feel discomfort, you feel tightness, because what you've been doing over time, you've just been adding accelerated stress to the same tissues over and over and over again, the same joint surfaces over and over and over again, the same muscles, the same ligaments, the same tendons. And we talked about that tolerance for stress, tolerance for load can only go so far, right? And all of a sudden, you cross that threshold that it has, and we start to see that move down. And now even the littlest movements that you do cross the threshold, and you experience a discomfort, and all of a sudden, man, we think we're injured. We think we broke something, which could be a, could be an outcome, right? What we typically see happen is you either A, create pathological tissue damage, and you do hurt yourself. This happens mostly in men. We see it with our NSFW guys all the time, right? Because... They would literally put their head through a wall despite their bodies. And that's uh, mostly men. Mostly so, men. It,
1: like, um, do you think that uh, a, a lot of people just have poor movement patterns and then we start seeing a lot of injuries because of the poor movement patterns, uh, which would be like, uh, you know, over time with something chronic? Or does something acute happen and then all of a sudden the acute nature of the injury causes the changing of movement patterns, which ends up becoming downstream? Or is it just a combination of both? I
2: think it could work both ways. Yeah, absolutely. Like for my my own personal example, uh, my dad was really flat-footed, walked like a duck his entire life. And he was a collegiate baseball player too. He was a left-handed pitcher. So he wasn't non-athletic, right? But that's what I learned from him. I learned his foot shape and I learned how to walk based off of him, which then led to all these issues I was experiencing later on through high school and into college. And I told that story a number of times on, on podcasts before, but then it wasn't until I became aware of what was going on in my body that I could then change it. Mm -hmm. and make the necessary actions to start to shift that trajectory, which is where I think a lot of people don't have that awareness around there. So they do keep moving the same way they've been moving. They feel that pain. They feel the stress and discomfort. And then they either do hurt themselves, like I just described, or they tend to create new compensation patterns to offset the old ones. But you keep going around and around and around in this vicious cycle. And quite honestly, creating new compensation patterns is more often in the the female. Because let's be honest, they're a little smarter than us. They're a little more in, in tune with their body.
1: I firmly believe that yep. they are the much more intelligent species.
2: <laughs> right? And they do take the, the, the necessary measures to start to shift the stress. But the, the problem is, is that you keep going around and around and around this vicious cycle because you never got back to the original issue, which was the trauma and dysfunction that actually occurred in the first place.
1: Well, also, too, there's an interesting narrative around injury. And I'll just use my wife, for example. Um, like the other day, she uh, – so probably about a year and a half ago – She had a pretty gnarly throw. Um, Like the horse went over Mm -hmm. and she landed and her foot got caught. She ended up spraining her ankle pretty good. I think I remember I told you. Yeah. And so the other day she's like, you know, I have two sprained ankles. And I was like, what do you mean two sprained ankles? She's like, well, you know, I blew my ankle out in high school uh, playing soccer. And then I did that. Mm -hmm. And I was like, and I realized in that moment, uh, my narrative for injury is much different. Uh, If I said to you, hey, I got two sprained ankles, it was because I sprained them today. Right. like, uh, Like for me, I would never say like you know, I tore an ACL. It's not like I had a knee injury. Like mm-hmm. I had a knee injury. I had a surgery. I rehabbed it. The injury's finished. Like if anything, like the who you know, like calcified on the back of my knee. When people ask me, I'm like, oh, calcified. And they like, how did that happen? I'm like, well, I mean, I don't know. Probably the fact that I don't have an ACL and like, I can give you all the downtrodden effects, mm-hmm. but like, it's not as if I'm like, oh, you know, I have a knee injury. I just have something that uh, needs to be fixed. So like a lot of my stuff, when I look at it, like, Unless I hurt myself today, those are things that are in the past. Uh, you know, I've, I, like, I got no ligaments in my ankles, but uh, I've effectively shored those up because I've rehabbed and I've trained mm-hmm. and I still move and I still squat. Do they bother me? Uh, maybe, but I don't notice it. So it's interesting how, like, somebody has one injury and now that becomes, like, their injury narrative. And I almost told her, I was like, that was a long time ago. Mm-hmm. You've rehabbed it you're fine. Like you need to let that go. Like injuries to me, especially like if I sprain my ankle, like it happens today, you rehab it, it's finished. You put it in the box and throw it in the deepest, darkest ocean. And then you keep going
2: forward. Well, what you're alluding to, John is identity. People make it a part of their identity of their story. And this goes back to the whole psychological component. Now it's ingrained. It's deeply a part of you as an individual, which is really hard to let go of. Mm. Right. So well, I don't, John, I don't what? what'd you
0: call those training room guys?
1: Malingers. Oh, malingers. <laughs> So it's one of my most favorite words. There's two favorite words I got out of the trading room, modalities and malingers. both M words. Yeah. So modalities, are all the fucking gadgets that the ATCs throw at you from ice and STEM and ultrasound and everything. And I used to come in, I'd be like, there's more than those three. (laughs) I'd be like, fire up your modalities and show me what you got. I'd be like, (laughs) I like what modalities you got underneath your sleeve. Show me some modalities, bring that modality out. And, uh, these guys like, I like, uh, Fucking probably the ATCs fucking hated me because I'd be like, ah, I'd be like, uh, hey, ankle taper, show me some modalities. I'd be like, hold on, hold on. Ice, you going to hook it up some stem. Cross patterning. Hold on, let's ultrasound it first. Come on, give me something better. You got to have some other witchcraft. Like you got to have a big bag of witchcraft. And then the other one is malingers, which if you look up that definition, is people that like make up injuries uh, because either fits their narrative or they just don't want to play. So like if you're uh, – a guy who's, you know, on maybe on an NFL team, which is kind of hard for people to imagine, who's like constantly injured because it's easier to like just be injured and be a training room guy than it is to do the work on the field. They get labeled malinger, which is probably worse than like alcoholic, life beater, <laughs> drug dealer, murderer. Like you like, like there's a lot of title ty- or there's a lot of um people <laughs> labels in the NFL. One of those you don't want is a malinger. If you're that, you're never getting on a fucking team. God, what I mean, we saw that too in the
2: in the jujitsu gym over the weekend, like 35 plus year old men talking about how their Oshgood Schlatter's is acting up again. Oh like, yeah, bro, bro, that you've experienced that when you're like twelve.
1: Well <laughs> it's called it's called open growth plates. <laughs> Theoretically, after the growth plates close, the Oscar Slaughter goes away. But also you're like, let me see then did, did they have huge fucking knots on the base and, of their uh,
2: This particular individual did not. Uh,
1: yeah. Well, But, he but it didn't
2: became know. an excuse of why we need to go grab a bag of ice and sit out a few rounds.
1: Uh-huh. <laughs> well, I also like to think that people throw it in. You're like, oh, it's Slaughter's. You should throw Liz Frank in there for you if we're going to use other weird names.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it all kind of falls in the same uh, bucket,
1: right? Maybe a uh, um, uh, fucking what's the elbow? Tommy John. Tommy. So we oh, got a Liz Frank. We got a Tommy John. We can get Ozzy Slaughter's. What else?
2: Oh, God. We can add a few things. Uh, gluteal bursitis. Oh, gluteal bursitis. That's a fun one. Oh, yeah. what's that? Uh, you, well, got a, able- you got a bursal sac on the side of your hip. and It likes to get blamed for a lot of hip pain
1: for uh. people. So you remember when uh, I got when I had that fucking massive elbow at Summerstrong? Uh, yeah. Quato was growing out of my elbow. <laughs> yeah, that was a bursa sack. That was by far the weirdest fucking injury I've had, and I've had a ton of injuries. Mm. Like I somehow banged my elbow on my center console, and I was like, "Oh, that felt a little weird." And then all of a sudden, the elbow just exploded. And I remember calling Parsley, and I'm like, "Parsley, you got to come fucking drain this thing." So he drains it, and uh, like wraps it up, and all of a sudden it grew. I'm like, "Oh my god, is this, is this thing ever gonna go away?" So uh, I had to keep going over to Parsi's house and he's like out there draining it, milking it on his <laughs> fucking, on his uh, patio. And I'm like, you know what? This is the type of doctor I want. Like no anesthetic. Let me jam a needle in there and clear Take it Take care up. of business. That's why Parsley's my, uh, uh, you know, regular care doc. Navy SEAL. That's what I need. He's like, I only got like 18. Uh, or what was it? He's like, I think I only got like an 18 gauge needle, but I got no uh, numbing agent. Let me just jam it in there. I'm like, go for it.
2: Take hey, a I shot at I
1: it. I got a picture. Go right. But yeah, that was uh, that bursa sack dude was weird. No fucking idea how that happened, and, and like constantly, I'll be like, like when I go put Still like, there? <laughs> no, I, I like I always kind of feel for it, and like when I go like now I don't like jam my elbows. I'm like real like easy to put it on like the center console. Now I'm like, oh fuck, I don't want to hit anything. We see what that did to your brain. Uh yeah, but not because it hurt, but because it was so weird looking that like yeah. I'm on the podcast and like so so the podcast is I'm sitting here. If you notice, for like about three months on the podcast I was sitting with my elbow wrapped around this because it was fucking hot as shit in here and uh, my elbow looked like Quato and I'm just like Charles whatever you gotta do just cut me out just cut the elbow out it looked like a pregnant elbow now Charles is like I didn't even notice that because he's over there editing NFTs <laughs> oh, fucker he's, gonna he's be over like, there he's gonna be the rich one out of all he's this. over there making lazy ape NFTs during our <laughs> podcast see it fucking asshole fucking should be God, if only we had Jamie. love uh, that. wake up, well, 12 olds are making 80,000. First of all, dude, you sent me the one about the NFTs being a Ponzi scheme. I listened to that one and I was like, this is, I don't believe any of these people are making any of this money. I think it's all a scam. I think it's all a scam to sucker people in because I also read that 90% of the NFTs people are buying right now are fucking forgeries and fakes. OpenSea. So
0: that's on the biggest platform, OpenSea. It's
1: like, 80% yeah. like scams. And, and like an insane uh, percentage. Like 88% or something like that. Yeah, don't worry. We're making Power That's Athlete awesome. NFTs. <laughs> Please. Yeah, we are. It's going to be our... I do, we're just going to have little smiling skulls are going to be our NFTs in the in the metaverse. When Power Athlete HQ exists in the metaverse with virtual workouts.
2: And take over the strength mission for the metaverse?
1: <sighs> so
0: weird. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to get a job as a bouncer in the metaverse. <laughs> just <laughs> think about what? that job hey I'm, I'm serious hear me out okay so i'm wearing virtual reality goggles hanging outside of a club or snoop Dogg's
1: club or whatever wait but you're at your house right physically you're at your house but you're outside Making virtually money. in the metaverse at yeah this is my
0: side hustle so at nighttime john i just stay up and like tell people in my nft character or whatever metaverse i'm i'm jacked i'm big I'm basically like all those stories you told when you were a bouncer in college. I'm just like that buddy you said, like, yeah, buddy Colin. you reference all the time. Uh,
1: dude, so when I worked security, um, there were, uh, so I worked at this club in the South of Market, which was a, a bad area back then. It's all fucking gentrified now. But I used to work security at this club. And uh, the crew that I worked with, the dude who worked the door was this guy named Colin, who had these crazy ass slugs in his ears. And he used to wear a trench coat and was kind of a menacing dude. And there was another guy I can't remember his name, but he used to wear these really, really, really tight black leather gloves, and uh, he had uh, um, uh, leads like like little pieces of lead sewn in selectively. And the guy used to ride. He he rode a badass Ducati. Used to wear like a black trench coat, and he was a, a collector. He collected money for uh, like various nefarious organizations. So he lived in Fresno, and he'd ride over on his bike to New or to San Francisco do his collections. And he used to work security with us. Uh, that dude was a legitimately scary individual. And then there was me and there was a bunch of other like security guys and then me. Right. And uh, these are like the, like the dudes you didn't want to have knocking at your door. And then people would come to our club cause it was called DNA lounge and it was a rocker club and uh, dudes would get drunk and want to fight. And the interesting thing about it, which was cool about Craig's course. Um, and I'm sure like the sheepdog deal mm-hmm. where they were talking about the situational awareness Every one of those people should work as a bouncer at a bar well this because your perception and your ability to see shit happen before it happens when you're sober and you're dealing with a bunch of drunk retards and oh, I'm sorry ooh we allowed to use the word artards anymore okay yeah all right so I, I don't mean it in terms of handicap I just mean drunk morons and um, they're like sixth cents to like see who who was gonna cause trouble and assess and get them corralled and beat their ass before they cause trouble. I've never seen it like it. Like these guys had like a six sense of bad fucking news. Like in six well, they, they would be standing there and they'd be like black hat, third guy in line, go stand next to him. I'm like, all right. And goes down there and then the guy would come over and he'd be like, um, your ID's expired. And the guy's like, no, it's not. And he's like, yes, it is. And if the guy was an asshole, he would just cut up his ID and hand it back to him and be like, it's fucking expired now. And as soon as the guy, Like handed it back, like based on either the guy would take it and leave, or if he went to do something, we would just roll him instantly. And he'd be like, that guy was trouble. We didn't want him in our club. And I mean, these guys were so fucking smart about figuring out who was a troublemaker before they got in the door Mm -hmm. to alleviate trouble. If somebody bad got in, then they were on the radio and they were like, I want you on that dude, like white on rice. It's like developing a spidey sense. Uh, these guys were like the spidey sense of bad news at fucking clubs and like drug dealers. And this guy, like they could tell you exactly what everybody was on and what pocket they had it in. He'd be like, uh, and I mean, to to the smart part, they'd be like, Hey, as a guy's coming up. He sees us. As soon as he sees us, he's going to touch his pocket. And that's where the drugs are. Mm -hmm. And I, and it like, and then when I took Craig's course, Craig kind of went through the psychology of a narc Mm -hmm. and some of this other stuff. The other one too was, uh, people will like touch their face before they throw a punch. They'll like diffuse. And so he's like, see a guy rubbing the back of the head. He's going to throw a punch. And sure enough, man, like, I mean, these guys were so fucking good. And then the funny part was when I took Craig's course, he, uh, he was using these same things. And I was like, do you work as a bouncer too? He's like, pretty much. I was a narc. And you know, uh, but just the ability to like start seeing, but, but it, it's like, um, it's like being a strength coach, mm-hmm. right? We were fortunate to travel the world across the football and see thousands of people squat poorly and get them to squat well. Same thing when you stand outside of a bar dealing with drunks and assholes all the time and people that are nefarious, and this, you know, these people are here at a bachelor party, these people are showing up because they're bad fucking news. You start getting a sixth sense, and after you do it for years, you're like, I'm almost like the Spider Man of fucking, yeah. you know,
2: trouble. And that there was a, one of the instructors there, a big Hawaiian dude named Yako, probably mid 40s ish. Um, he does security for Five Finger Death Punch, ah. which is really cool side gig, yeah. right? Former special ops guy, third degree black belt and uh he's also the guy that sat on top of me he essentially played patty cake with my face which was an interesting experience as well uh but he that was the guy that gave you the shiner no 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 he just kept trying to take away my breath and put his oh. hand over my face yeah to bite his finger try to huh. his his intention was to get me to try and grab his arm but you know when you're not breathing you don't really think about that huh. <laughs> took me a little while to figure that one out Um, uh, but he is he loves that gig because he just actually gets to choke out guys that are trying to jump up on the stage and get after the artists, right? Sure. And he just puts them down to the ground. And then we ask like, well, what do you do after that? It's like, oh I just won't well, put one knee on his back, one knee on his head, wait for him to wake up. And he starts to come to it's like, hey buddy, it's gonna lay here for a little bit. Take a nap.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Man, that's a, that's a pretty good one.
2: That's got I mean that's gotta be a fun experience. Uh,
1: I don't think I've ever seen Five Finger Death Punch in person. I've never seen a show I theirs. never have. Mm-mm. I've never seen that seems like a fairly decent show. It would be an interesting mix of people that would come to that. I bet you nine out of 10 people would have back pain too. Well, after they
2: meet
0: your bouncer friend.
1: Yeah. Uh, Do you think um, like with back pain and this has always kind of fascinated me. um, And like you have a much better clinical appreciation Mm -hmm. for this, but like, do does most of the people that you start working with that have back pain? Is there something acute that happens? Like, I was doing this, this happened, now I have back pain. Or is it something where just like shitty movement over long periods of time, too much sitting, poor flexibility, you know, tight hamstrings, shortened hamstrings, you know, weak glutes. I mean, all the things that we know to be the the markers that manifest as back pain. Is, is that become, I mean, is that more the narrative that you hear or is it more like I was skiing and doing something, I rotated and now I have back pain?
2: Both, right? You see that you have the guys that are out shoveling snow and, twist wrong and they blow their, you know, blow their back out, so to speak. But then you do have the other ones are like, I have no idea where this came up, came from. It just showed up one morning and it's been around ever since. Uh, I I think both of them though, the source of both of those issues is still the underlying problem of like, well, how are you moving? So,
1: so, so how do you treat that? Like if, uh, because mm -hmm. here's the thing we learned about pain and injury, even though 99% of the world probably has some form of back pain, everybody believes that their back pain and the you know, the, uh, uh, the mechanism for the back pain is unique to them.
2: Right. And this is where we kind of go down the rabbit hole of seeing specialists that just want to take images of your back. Mm. And they are like, oh, well, you've got degenerative disc disease and you've got a bulging disc here protruding, you know, at the L4, L5, where you've got, you know, facet arthropathy or whatever. Yeah. And it creates, once again, a narrative that they start believing as part of their identity. I have this, therefore I can't do X, Y, Z. Sure. Right, and that's that's a really tough thing to get to let go of. And quite honestly, and this is why I don't encourage anybody to go get imaging for their back unless, like, you literally can't control your pee or poo. You got nerve pain shooting down to your foot. Um, it's because you know, not once again, nine out of ten people have all these nasty things going on inside their back, but are completely pain free. Mm. And we have we have that validated. So, how does the now.
1: course uh, attack or how, like? if the if, if everybody believes their mechanism is unique and everybody believes that you know their back pain is you know uh, can like come on a different road mm-hmm. uh, how does the course set up i mean does it mean that you know regardless of how you think the back pain ended up manifesting mm-hmm. the the systems and the tools are the same for curing it
2: yes and it all has to start with education right you have to understand how your body moves what pain is and how the two are interrelated, right? If you don't have an understanding, it creates a lot of fear and anxiety. So the more that I can educate you and help you understand what's going on, the more that that fear and anxiety is going to dampen. It's mm-hmm. going to go down, which then reduces the amount of stress going on in your body. So now that we have a better understanding of why it's there, what it means, what it means for you, now how can we start to pick apart your own movement patterns and figure out the source of why it's actually occurring in the first place, right? And that's where we go through this whole entire assessment piece inside the course and take me through a multitude of of postures and positions and patterns to start to feel into your body and once again, understand what it is telling you. And the assessments go through essentially two different uh, pillars, one being a stability pillar and then the other one being a mobility pillar because the role of the low back is both. It's meant to be flexible. It's meant to be mobile. It's also meant to be rigid when it needs to be. And that's why I keep telling people all the time, I need you to be stiff when necessary, but not rigid. Mm-hmm. I need you to be mobile, but not loose. Right, that's, a, that's a very clear distinction. And if your spine can do both, you see people typically don't have much of an issue. And if something does come up where they do experience some type of pain, they know how to triage it and then work through it because they have the tools necessary to do so, which is what the rest of the, the course is all about, too, is giving you the tools necessary based off of how you self-assess, you know what to integrate in the interim then moving mm-hmm. forward.
1: Is it a uh, pretty standard where people have back pain, they just stop moving? Yes. And that's like the worst
2: thing that you could pot- possibly do. The, the less that you move, right? The more that you're going to feel stiffer, your brain just going to start to shut down your movement patterns out of once again, like a defense mechanism. Um, and then you start to compound everything. Remember that window for stress tolerance we talked about? It gets lower and lower and lower and lower the less that you move. And it's usually due out of fear, right? We're fearful of movement. And there we brought in all the psychological stuff again. So you can see how it's all kind of interwoven. It's a very complex
1: topic. Well, people, um, like you you brought up a great point. Like they, uh, you know, go to different doctors. They want to see images uh, because they want validation. Uh, is that beneficial at all?
2: Well, once again, like if you do have something nefarious going on where you do have a, a good provider that can screen you out. And most PTs are taught that nowadays of like, how this is how we look for red flags, of like things that you need to go see seek medical help for, right? And those are the things like not being able to control your pee or poo, sexual dysfunction, pain with sex, um, and then also the, sho- the shooting nerve pain. You need to have that further evaluated because there may potentially be something pushing on a nerve. But then even, even at that point, we still have a lot of um, evidence that shows that over time, the, actually the worst disc injury is, the faster your body goes in to clean it up. Because it sees it as a foreign body inside the spinal canal, and it will go and do the same type of inflammatory response, which is probably more so the source of the pain that you're feeling versus the actual protrusion itself. It's more that inflammatory process that is a chemical soup that's kind of pushing, putting pressure on those nerves as they exit the spine. Mm-hmm. Because what's really interesting, too, about the discs is that they even show, like, if it's pushing next to a foramen where the nerve exits, the nerve moves. It moves itself into a position where it's not being pushed on. Mm-hmm. Right, so our body is extremely adaptable. Well, it doesn't want to be in pain. It doesn't want to. Yeah. It doesn't want to. And then we often perpetuated it on our own terms. So essentially, what we need to do is help you get your out of, get out of your own way. Like we're we're kind of our own worst enemy when it comes to this, and that's our big brain, our big big uh, prefrontal cortex that helps us validate and logic and reason, uh, but often for the wrong reasons.
1: <laughs> man, the last time and I've told the story on the podcast, but um, last time I had back bad back pain was when. I think I taught 36 seminars that one year mm-hmm. and I was stuck on a plane for, you know, probably 32 of them. And I all of a sudden developed this tremendous back pain for being stuck in like coach seats. Mm-hmm. And I remember I, I was talking with Stu McGill and uh, told him and was like, Hey man, I'm like, I don't know what the fuck is going on here. And he's like, when was the last time you squatted heavy? And I was like, man, it's been a while. Like this back pain's too much. And he's like, I want you to leave, like hang up the phone. I want you to go in. I want you to do, you know, 135 for 10 225. I want you to do it, you know, mm-hmm. slow, however you got to do it. I want you to work up to a heavy single. And uh, I think I had the video somewhere on on here with uh, working up to like 5.05 or 5.10 with singles and ended up doing a series of singles. And it's real slow, actually like pretty decent squat. And I got done and uh, the back pain was gone and I've never had back pain since. And I feel like, uh, like whatever his reasoning. And I asked him, he's like, well, you know, like, uh, your body will arrange itself. I mean, it just, you know, nervous system. He went through everything, but he's like, you need to bang heavy weights. And he's like, if your back ever starts to feel funny, like it's coming on or something. And the same thing happens Mm -hmm. with my neck Mm -hmm. where all of a sudden I'll feel like a twinge in my neck. I usually go get adjusted. I'll go see Dr. Bob. He like gives me a little bit of traction, a little bit of of crack. And I'm, I'm like instantly fine. But then you keep moving. Yeah. That's the yeah. difference, right? Yeah. Yeah. But then I, it. yeah. I, so, but the uh, the one with my back, if, uh, if I don't actually go in and squat heavy or do anything, and when I was doing the hyperbarics, I was really getting cut down on my weight training. I could kind of feel it. And I was like, ooh, I need to start going in there and doing something heavy. I'll go in and squat heavy, pull heavy, and instantly it just goes away. And I have no idea why. And I don't really care. And I don't want to fucking know why. No, because that works for
2: you. That's a stimulus into your nervous system that you stress that your body and your brain likes. Because your body is a self-organizing organism, right? It will find a center based off of the stimulus that you're imparting upon it. And I think where something like making you go in and squat heavy is beneficial for you, it might not be beneficial for somebody else. Your body, based on your history, you've been through a lot of heavy training. It kind of likes it, right? And you respond well to it versus other people, they don't. Right. So now we got to, once again... Take that person as an individual and go back and peel the layers back and start to figure out, okay, well, what is your perception of this? Why is it occurring? What's your belief around it? And then what has your training history looked like over the past few years? So now we know, okay, well, if it looked like this, maybe you've been doing nothing but, you know, yoga and stretching. I think maybe a little load will help you. Sure versus somebody who is doing a bunch of just like sagittal plane training. Maybe we introduce some rotational and frontal plane stuff. And guess what? Back pain goes away because it's a novel stimulus. It's giving something to the body that's craving. Sure. Cool.
0: All good? Yes. And if you'd like to experience Dr. Z's back course or a trial, head to academy.powerathletehq.com, or check out our show notes here. I'll link it up in there for you to check out. Dr. Xandis, if they'd love to follow your work and learn from you where do they go
2: uh, Instagram is the best place at Rooted in Movement and Movement is an acronym it's just capital M-V-M-N-T no vowels in there and then the same thing with the uh, website RootedInMovement.com and then Matthew at RootedInMovement.com is a great email to reach me at
1: cool well thanks for tuning in to another episode of Power Athlete Radio Hi. Hi.
0: now it's time for you to empower your performance Head to powerathletehq.com backslash training to choose from a number of programs to meet your specific performance goals. And if you'd like to break a mental sweat too, visit academy.powerathletehq.com and become a real stakeholder in you or your athlete's success. Until next time, bye!